The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I am Cheryl Jones, your host, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Welcome. Please let me know who you are and why you listen by contacting me on my social media or by email. Um, Everything you need to find me is on my host page at uh, Voice America or at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. I also want to encourage you to follow the link on the host page to find Anna Elizabeth, Good Grief's newest sponsor. She was a guest on the show in February. I interviewed her about her book, Digging for the Light, and her her work called uh, The Five Facets of Grief. And I'm very honored that after she was on the show, she decided to support the work by sponsoring. So go take a look at what she does and get a copy of Digging for the Light. Today I'm talking with Suzanne West. Suzanne is a professor of psychology and teaches in the BA Psychology and Consciousness and Transformative Studies programs at John F. Kennedy University. She's also a life coach and the founder of Insight to Action Coaching. Suzanne is the author of Soul Care for Caregivers, How to Help Yourself While Helping Others. And you can reach her at www.suzannewest.com. And it's S-U-S-A-N-N-E-W-E-S-T. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi, Cheryl. Good to I'm ex- be on your show. I'm excited to have you, and I'm excited to talk about this subject because, honestly, I don't believe I knew a great deal about taking care of myself, really, until I took care of somebody else on an intense basis. And I get the impression maybe... Some of what you learned came that way as well. Absolutely, yes. And it was part of what motivated me to start working with others when I just saw how amazingly stressful it can be in so many different ways. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think if you haven't had that experience, it sounds counterintuitive that people would learn to take care of themselves during care caregiving times, but it's sort of uh, uh, do it or sink, isn't it? Yes. In fact, I was just talking to someone earlier today about that who is just really immersed in caregiving with her, her partner's brother, and I use the same word that it's going to sound counterintuitive to take some time out when it feels like you have literally no time at all um, to focus on self-care. But if you don't, 
you're not going to have the resources that you need to be able to deal with such a stressful situation. Something else that I've learned both with myself and for other caregivers is that we don't have to necessarily carve out long blocks of time, that sometimes just a little guided imagery exercise for three minutes or walking outside or looking at the birds from the window for two or three minutes. There's all kinds of things we can do that don't take huge amounts of time, which caregivers don't have. Absolutely. I was, I was actually, this was kind of serendipitous timing. Uh, I run a continuing education program and our presentation this last Saturday was um, really on self-care, uh, crisis and grief fatigue, uh, mm-hmm. which was definitely about self-care. And uh, the presenter, Dina Joseph, was saying, it's rest and relaxation aren't enough, there has to be reflection. And that was a very interesting idea to me, and it fit with your book quite well, I thought, because that idea of kind of mulling over, if you're, if you're looking out, you're kind of in your own thoughts for a minute instead of um, turning the wheel all the time. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, do you think that's, you know, you have so many uh, kind of exercises to, to be in oneself in your book? Um, do you think that's part of what that does is is help people to be in contact with themselves and processing things through, I guess? Yeah, very definitely. Um, many caregivers, not all, of course, but many do have a tendency to lose themselves in the other, which can be both a gift and a curse, you know, to be so tuned in and empathic and open to the other but unless we also have ways of staying connected and resourcing with, within ourselves, um, we're just going to, we aren't going to be as effective, certainly, in our caregiving. And, and it's also a way of depleting ourselves. So very definitely, you know, ways to keep coming back. The other thing that I think about a lot is just some of the brain chemistry issues, um, that when we are in stressful situations and if we don't take time out before the stress has gotten too intense, um, what happens is there's this huge release of cortisol in the whole body-mind, which is a stress hormone, which makes us even less effective and gets us really spun out. And so these little breaks of ways that we tune into ourselves in really healthy, nourishing, positive ways are part of what we're doing is we're getting the good chemicals flowing mm. as a way to balance out the cortisol release. I find yeah. that has a, has a lot of impact uh, when I can bring in some science for people. Um, you know, it, mm. it helps uh, mm-hmm. to really understand why it works as opposed yeah. to just, you should do this. And the other thing that, uh, that I think is very powerful in your book is your own experience, of course. Mm-hmm. You've had some of the tougher caregiving challenges as far as I'm concerned, um, especially your daughter's many illnesses. Mm-hmm. And um, I, th- I was thinking about that as I was reading as a particular challenge because um, 
you know, parenting itself also is a place where people go overboard just in normal parenting. Um, you know, we want our children to be so well, we, we drop ourselves along the way. And um, I was wondering how long it took you to kind of realize that you were, you know, in some trouble and needed to focus uh, differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, her her diagnoses of her first two illnesses, um, ankylosing spondylitis and Crohn's disease, were in 1989, and um, I got very lost in um, identifying with her suffering and just you know the mom feelings of just wanting to help and and before she even got the diagnoses, there was so much research I had to do and finding the right alternative and, and traditional treatments and what's right and even just getting to the right diagnosis. So I got really lost in the whole process on, on every level. And it took a very good friend of mine who was very frank, who happened to be a very astute therapist who took me aside. This was probably after about a year, and mm. she just said, uh, Suzanne, you are so much more overwhelmed than you realize, and um, if you don't start focusing on yourself, um, and maybe the, what you have to do is think about doing this for Heidi, if you can't do it for yourself, um, if you don't start really taking care of yourself and, you know, doing your meditations again and your artwork and going out with friends, um, you're just, you're going to lose the reserves and resources that Heidi really needs. And just, it was an amazing one of those experiences where a window opened, a door closed, and from that moment on, I just gradually just started bringing in different kinds of practices and ways to focus on myself and let other people do more for my daughter. And I worked with boundaries, just all kinds of things. It was the beginning of a huge shift for me. And I'm ever grateful to my friend. Mm. And I'm glad that you that you said that because... Uh... You know, people do what comes naturally to them. So uh, people who over-caretake are, are care t- caregivers, you know. Um, yes. People who want to give, over-give. And, um, yes. and the idea, so sometimes I find it is a doorway for people to say, do it for the other person. Once people understand it actually is for that other person, it really helps yes. you get started, don't you think? That's absolutely right. And yes, my experience with so many of us who are in the helping professions, including, you know, teachers, nurses, doctors, you know, all of us kind of helper types, um, don't necessarily have really good boundaries and, or know how to tune into our own needs as well as we're able to tune into the needs of other people, um, I was very fortunate, again, when I was, it was uh, in the early 80s, before this happened with Heidi, 
Um, and of course, it all went out the window when this happened, but I was able to pull it back. But I had a supervisor in my first counseling internship, and I was going in to see clients. You know, I'd feel fine in the morning, and by the end of the day, I was irritable, I was drained, I was tired, and I just didn't know what was going on with me. And she watched me through one of those, is it a one-way or two-way mirrors? Anyway, one of those mirrors. Mm-hmm. And she said, you are, um, you're a classic merger. You are, I, I watch you even somatically, you know, leaning in. And you're taking on too much responsibility for helping them. And you're entering their, their space. You're taking on their suffering. And so she was kind of like the Zen master. She was really quite strict, but I am so grateful that we took a year and a half of, in many, many, many different ways, uh, learning how to stay with myself. I remember when I was first doing that, I was worried that I would be too aloof. And You know, I think, was, that, I think that section of the book you... Uh, you were actually going to share. Maybe maybe uh, it would be a good moment for that. Sure, I can do that. There's a couple paragraphs I can read that are exactly about this. So I want to find the right page. Okay. And the, the title of this chapter is Where You End and I Begin, Boundaries. In 1985, about five months into my first counseling internship, I found myself becoming irritable and tired, sometimes exhausted at the end of the day after seeing clients. There were no other notable stressors in my life at the time, and I couldn't figure out what was so draining about this work that I'd always thought I'd love to do. I would come to the counseling center in the morning, feeling pretty energetic and centered, and often leave feeling cranky and out of sorts. I brought this concern to my clinical supervisor, who then watched me work with clients through a two-way mirror. You're a classic merger, she said. You're empathetic, which is wonderful, but you don't have clear, firm boundaries. You lean into your clients. You lose yourself. You're merging with them and taking on their feelings and absorbing their energy. You need to have a clear sense of where you end and they begin. It's important to learn how to be open and attuned to your clients and at the same time maintain a healthy distance. Learning how to stay connected to yourself while being open, attuned, and connected to your clients will serve you and your clients very well. You also need to stay grounded in your body. We'll do some mock sessions and I'll teach you grounding techniques and show you ways to remain connected to yourself while relating to your clients. You'll find that you can maintain your own energy and sense of yourself and also be more neutral and objective with clients. I'm going to teach you ruthless compassion. And then the last paragraph of this little section. In addition to learning somatic practices and other practical strategies for developing boundaries, I began exploring and working with deeper unresolved issues that I felt were related to the boundary problems, such as my need to please, fears of abandonment, difficulty in saying no to people, and setting limits. This personal growth work was transformational, 
And what I learned over the following year and a half impacted all of my relationships in new and healthy ways. And then, as I said, it all went out the door for a while. (laughs) Which is so normal. Yeah, well, that's, you know, uh, one of my graduate school professors said, um, uh, the higher the stress, the earlier the level of coping. (laughs) You know, if we're pressed hard enough, we kind of go back to uh, really early strategies, don't we? Uh, Out of desperation. (laughs) But I I don't know, listening to that, I sort of think... uh, think you had had the 101 and 201 courses and and uh, maybe Heidi's illnesses were graduate school or something you yeah, know that beautiful way to put it <laughs> <laughs> because I know for me it's not that I hadn't worked on things previous to my uh, my wife's illness it's just that it took it to a very different level um, yeah. being that far up against things uh, for su- such a long period of time Yes. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. So sort of trial by fire is another another way I could imagine putting it. Yeah, we I continued to get these huge lessons. There were some things that I'm caregiving for my mom now and there were some things that happened last summer that were some of the more really intense and horrific experiences and of my life and so it brought up all kinds of shadow places that I thought I had worked through, and it proved to be, you know, one more extremely transformational time because of the level of things that it activated. That's, um, you know, I have a lot of clients who will say, why am I dealing with this again? I'm sure you've heard that. Mm -hmm. I thought I had dealt with this already. (laughs) Um, But Mm -hmm. we're not, we we have the same places that we're going to kind of continue to make progress with our whole lives, don't you think? Depending on uh, what happens and how it impacts us. And we've always got kind of the same places to transform, I guess. (laughs) And, you know, it, it does also feel in some ways different. It, it feels like a spiral to me, like mm. the um, the things that came up were really pre-verbal for me last summer, mm-hmm. um, even though the wounds were familiar and the fears, but this was some of the deepest core primal wounding in my body-mind, and of course, you know, with the mother and the mother wound, and, Absolutely. Um, and so the opportunities for releasing knots in my being that just had not released um, were right there. And they really, they have released. I did so much work at the same time, so much spiritual and psychological work. Suzanne, Um, we're going to take a break now and talk about that more when we come back. So uh, out there, go, you know, look us up. me at the Good Grief Host page and Suzanne West at www.suzannewest.com. Be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. I've been talking with Suzanne West, whose experiences as a caregiver and as a helping professional led her to write the book Soul Care for Caregivers and do uh, workshops and other work with caregivers to help them navigate the terrain of caregiving while maintaining our own health. And uh, before the break, we were talking about how we can continue to uh, spiral. I like spiral a lot. My One of my favorite healing images is an upward turning spiral with little downturns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that uh, stuck out for me. Um, that we can continue to kind of take the next step on whatever it is we're, we're doing in this life as long as we're here. Um, I wanted to, I, I want to talk about that latest experience with your mom, but I also wanted to um, make sure and hear more from you about um, kind of the the origin of of this with you and Heidi. I, and I wondered if you would share that part of the book where um, it, that's about kind of feeling helpless in it because you have such a strong been there. Uh, you know, and I want I want the listeners to to hear that. I'm sure they can hear it now. You're talking, but I thought that section really captured your own uh, experience of how tra- how challenging th- these issues are. Sure, I will read that. Uh, that is in chapter one, which is called "Soul Gifts: The Rewards of Caregiving." Mm. I can't let Heidi keep lying on the floor of this hotel bathroom. She's whiter than the tile, that ghostly pale she gets when she's in a Crohn's flare-up, and she's got to be freezing. It's the coldest night in six years in Boston. I have to get my daughter up off that floor, but she wants me to stay back, be quiet. 
The word helpless barely touches what I feel. My kid is curled up in a ball three feet in front of me, her gut in flames, sharp pain repeatedly stabbing her abdomen again and again, hardly any time at all between the jolts of pain, and I can do nothing. It goes on for hours, cramping and twisting, soft moans, loud moans, deep sighs. Do the sighs signal breaks in the waves of pain? I don't know, and Heidi can't tell me. She's caught in the jaws of suffering. It's like the worst stage of labor, but at least with labor you know there's a baby on the other side. This is nothing but bad news. Lying next to her on the floor and then finally beside her on the bed, I'm overwhelmed. I feel that I can't bear watching her suffer for even one more second. This image from the night before in our hotel room keeps flashing in my mind as we board the plane from Boston to San Francisco in 1992. Heidi is teetering beside me holding on to every available handrail to keep herself from falling. Half of me is in dutiful mom mode, responsible and efficient, getting the job done, moving us from the hotel to the airport or bus to the boarding gate. The other half of me is anxiously tracking her every move, every breath. Once on the plane, Heidi collapses into the seat, damp strands of her long blonde hair, falling across her eyes. She's shivering. I wrap my coat around her and add a blanket from the overhead bin, but it doesn't help. She continues to shiver until she finally drops off to sleep, exhausted. As I watch her sleep, I reflect on the irony of the situation. Here I am on the way back from a conference where we've deeply immersed ourselves in spiritual teachings. And it's dawning on me that I've learned more from Heidi's illnesses over the past four years than from two decades of spiritual practice and study. A list starts to form in my mind of qualities that I've been inadvertently developing since the onset of her symptoms. Presence, empathy, courage, strength, acceptance, resilience, generosity, trust, mindfulness, compassion. I realize that this is what spiritual practice is all about. Is it possible, I wonder, that her diseases really are blessings in my life, catalyzing transformation in ways I never could have imagined? I see that just about everything about me has changed over the last few years. My understanding of what's really important in life, beliefs about who I am and what I can and cannot do, old patterns, illusions, coping strategies of ways of being in the world and with others, and beliefs about health and healing, life, death, and suffering. I see that the events of the last four years have put me on a spiritual fast track. That last phrase delighted me, spiritual fast fast track. Mm-hmm. It does, it, you know, it's a fast track that sometimes feels incredibly slow, but, <laughs> but then at other moments you just seem to be speeding along, yeah? Yeah, and if yeah. we look at the impact that these adverse experiences are having on us and how fast things are opening and changing 
you know, that was that was what was happening for me. It was like, oh my god. The other thing, yeah. The the other thing I was thinking about is that um, uh, I was remembering my my wife had a kind of cancer that uh, is very uh, degenerative to the bones. Mm. and um, it involved a tremendous amount of pain. She lived with a tremendous amount of pain for the whole time she had the illness until she died, which was roughly 10 years. Oh, my God. And there's there's a way in which, uh, boy, that really tests you, doesn't it, to be able to accept another person's physical pain oh. uh, that, that cannot be... I know something about Crohn's disease, um, Maybe I don't know if the listeners do. You could maybe say a little bit, but I know it's extremely painful. And um, that sense of loving someone and and not being able to remove that for them is such a test. Yes, absolutely. And it also amazes me how you know I can be with clients or students or just you know friends even who are in the grips of horrendous emotional and physical pain and have a kind of equanimity and an ability to just see the bigger picture as well as be empathic for the human condition. But when it comes to the people close to me, and I've seen this with others, it's just it's a whole different ballgame. It's a bigger challenge, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so the, in those kinds of moments, uh, did, you know, um, sometimes I think that, uh, well, Stephen Levine used to say that all kinds of desperate acts are, are homesickness for God, you know, <laughs> kind yeah. of, you don't know what else to do. And you, <laughs> um, so getting to the edge like that where there's nothing to be done, do you think that took your own uh, spiritual understandings to a a different place? I know that doesn't always happen for people, but it sounds as if it did for you. Oh, yes. And, you know, my experience is that these very, very intense events um, just, open us to the really deep layers of shadow material, but at the same time, perhaps not in exactly the same time sequentially, but um, it also just opens our whole being to to whatever we want to call the divine or source or the vastness or universal consciousness. Um, yeah, and I have had to just call on that realm of light and healing and help um, in so many different ways. And when I would open and continue to in my life to that domain of our being, the infinite domain of our being, um, the kind of assistance um, is just unfathomable to me Mm. and also just really helps to go into those very deep, dark places when there is also an anchoring in consciousness. Because when you do go there, there's a part of you that that knows that, yes, you're going to feel all that, and yes, you're going to look at all that, 
but you, you are also more than that. And I think until we really have that connection with consciousness, when we have any kind of difficult experience, we are so utterly identified with it that that's all there is, and, and that's devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I was also thinking about, you know, for me, um, I have to see say the, the le- lessons with Joanne, my wife, were brutal, but the teacher was gentle. Uh, you know, mm. she was um, uh, good to go through it with, in a sense. Mm. And, I, and I got that, that uh, sense of Heidi as well. Um, I don't know if that's true because you didn't talk that much about her as a person. But um, whereas you, you were talking about your mom, my mom just died. And for me, that was um, tough in some different ways because she wasn't quite as easy a person to do it with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brought up some very different kinds of issues with taking care of myself. Yeah, uh, and, that- and Heidi, for many years, um, Heidi's been in a 12-step program, which she's fine with me talking about, and it's through her 12-step work that she developed uh, the beginnings of a very, very strong connection to her own spirituality. Um, so that it's very different helping someone who has that internal resource already. Yes, absolutely. And another huge difference was that Heidi had a a very big support system as time went on just in general. And um, that also makes a huge difference. I've seen this a lot with caregivers who don't have a lot of support and that the stress has just increased exponentially. Absolutely, especially people who are a little more um, reticent emotionally to share their experience with more than just their caregiver. Um, (laughs) You know, the way in which sometimes people pick one person, Mm -hmm. and then then that's uh, hard to maneuver for that one person, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have... The capacity, like my mother just hasn't done a lot of the psychological and spiritual work that you know, so many of in our generation have done. So she doesn't have internal resources. Um, and so being a caregiver for someone like that, there's this unconscious kind of pull that I would feel at times... Um, to kind of do the work for her that she can't do for herself. Mm. No fault of her own. But mm-hmm. Heidi had so many internal and external resources. So in some ways, it was definitely easier being her caregiver. On that level, maybe not on some others. Oh, yes. <laughs> I would imagine. Exactly. But, um, you know, that, that sort of sense of of. of you know, I even remember somewhere in the book you saying that she sort of said, Mom, back off and take care of yourself or something like that, um, that she would have her own awareness of wanting to hold her experience for herself, um, yes. which not everybody has. Not everybody yes, exactly. has that idea. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, that was, um, isn't it funny how things can seem fortunate looking back that don't seem so fortunate at the time, but exactly. a, for, a fortunate way of being um, so challenged in this caregiving area. Mm-hmm. So uh, what has, have you been able, even though you, you mentioned, you know, having a, a very tough period with taking care of your mom, did you have to do anything different to um, activate the skills? I mean, uh, I want to talk real specifically after this next break about some of the things you suggest for people, but did you have to do anything different to bring them for yourself into that situation? Was it harder? Um, Once again? Wait? Did you say you want to no, wait we have, after no, the break? No, we have a few more minutes. I think we can... I think we can we can um, you know begin, <laughs> and, and then, then I'll let you well, know when it's time to go. Some of the ways it was harder was the types of things that were happening were truly horrific, nightmarish events mm-hmm. um, in the hospital and out out of the hospital, and very intense, very dramatic, and so. Um, but in terms of me turning to um, my own, everything that's in the book, I remember joking to my husband, you know, actually when Heidi got a cancer diagnosis a few years ago, um, that was when I first said it to him. I said, honey, please read my book to me. I need to be reminded <laughs> of what I have to do. So I've had to do self-care practices, the things that are, for me, uniquely nourishing. You know, they're different for everyone. So I just, I saw right away with the first emergency room visit that I was going to have to bring everything online again. You know, really turn to my wonderful supportive friends and just everything, inner, outer, that it was going to be, you know, like a preparation for a marathon or something. And so I did it. I I just resourced myself, and there were still times that, of course, it was just grueling. But I got through it and was able to keep my professional life going and other things that I do to not get swallowed up by something that could easily have swallowed me up. Well, that's what I hear is such a major difference is that you knew what there was to do, and you knew you were going to have to do it right from the start. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which, which, is, which is familiar to me. That's very familiar. Uh-oh, I'm going to really have to talk to this person, make sure I sing, you know, all those little list of things that we know keep us on track. Mm-hmm. Let's go to our second break now. Um, and out there, you know, do the social media thing. I know not everyone likes it, but it's a great way to be in contact and let me know what you're thinking. So I look forward to hearing from you. And if you want to get in touch with Suzanne West, go to www.suzannewest, with an S, S-U-S-A-N-N-E-W-E-S-T, dot com. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. Suzanne West is my guest today, and we've been talking about healthy self-care for caregivers. And I really want to um, make sure that we talk about the sort of areas of care that you outline in the book, because I thought it was a pretty complete um, picture you gave uh, Lots of different ideas, and and of course, I like that idea. You can do a little thing, and it matters. And I also like that there might be so many choices of what to do that that taps into this place that restores you and and gives you energy to go back into caregiving. Can you talk some about that? About your sure. ways of looking that at that, and what kinds of things you think are most important? Sure. Um... One of the things that I would say right away is, um, you know, and anyone who talks about all this would talk about it differently, but I, I personally think that it's a really good idea to stay away from the shoulds. Um, you know, Fritz Perls talked about the tyranny of the shoulds. In other words, the things you should do for self-care, perhaps because they worked in the past or some book said that, you know, you should do breathing exercises or you should stay away from this kind of food and eat that. You know, I think um, that it's really valuable if people learn how to just tune in and ask themselves, in this moment, what would be nourishing for me? What would be perhaps calming for me? What would be pleasurable for me? And ideally, they're going to be somewhat healthy pleasures, but not always. Um, so that's one thing I would say right away is to, um, I, I talk about following the pleasure, mm. following what feels good, mm. and um, to have a lot of options. I talk about having a soul nourishment toolkit and to be open to discovering new things all the time that could go in that toolkit. So. And again, this could be whenever somebody has a break for two minutes or five minutes or 
It doesn't have to be these long stretches, but as often as possible, especially if it's a high-stress day or a high-stress time. And again, it sounds counterintuitive, but the more often you do it, the more you're going to keep filling your own well, which is is what you're doing here. And for me, um, doing my artwork is profoundly healing. Um, Mm. I do kind of doodles, and then I fill them in with wonderful colors of paints or pens, and um, it just, when I do this, it makes me very present, focused, I feel a sense of joy, so I walk around with a notebook. Um, Also, just for me, and, and I know for many others, either being in nature or looking out a window if you can't go outside, or if there are no windows, to do a little guided imagery, self-guided imagery, where you can you can just be almost in a closet for a few minutes, or you know, in a hallway, take a couple of minutes, and first of all, feel into the quality that you want to evoke. It could be aliveness. It could be trust or calm, relaxation, and then you get an image for an aspect of nature that represents that to you, um, and then you just imagine yourself using all of your senses and, and being there in an embodied way, right there by that river or in the, in the redwoods and feeling the textures of the tree trunks and noticing colors, and it's amazing what guided imagery can do and how quickly it can work. Um, It could also be just watching something on TV that feels good for Mm. a few minutes. Mm. You know, I I really want to emphasize what you said about the shoulds, because when when I'm working on this with, with people, they almost always have ideas of what they should be doing, and then what they're actually doing is not taking care of themselves but criticizing themselves. And if they do it a little bit, they didn't do it enough. And, you know, there's this whole, uh, and then they'll say, it's not making me feel any better. And, and I'll say, because you're, you're actually not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually a different category altogether. Have you had that experience too? Um, and, And what you're doing, you're activating, you're supposed to be taking care of yourself and then you're activating the inner critic, which is one of the most oppressive forces in the psyche. Yes, yes. and so and so unrestorative, so tiring. Exactly. So, so what you're saying is a little bit of something you're giving yourself because your heart wants it will do more than a lot of something that you're doing because you think you should. Would that be fair to say? Yes. I mean, in general, I am all about staying away from shoulds in our lives whenever possible, except knowing sometimes we absolutely can't. Yes. But yeah, they come from that tyrannical place inside of us. One of my favorite uh, Stephen Levine quotes, I don't know why he's on my mind so much today, (laughs) but... Mm. uh, We've been should on long enough. Yes. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I, I think that's very true. It's hard to stop, though. I think our culture is very um, into correction as mm. opposed to healing. Absolutely. So uh, we're well-trained, aren't we? Yeah, there's that story about the Dalai Lama when he started working with Western students and meditators that he was really awed at seeing the level of self-judgment, low self-esteem, the kind of spiritual perfectionism that people were bringing to their spiritual practices. And, you know, that's definitely a disease in this culture. Absolutely. So uh, it sounds to me as if there are, there are two parts kind of being... Um, uh being open to what calls you maybe mm-hmm. and being and being open to your senses that if the senses are not engaged it may not restore you to the same degree did i hear that a minute ago um well i i'm not sure i would say it exactly that way um i when i was talking about the senses i was talking about when people do a little self-guided imagery Oh, I see. Um, More more important with that particular uh, tool. Yes, exactly. But, you know, I mean, you're also bringing up an important idea, which is that any time we do things to enliven the senses, enliven the senses, we're potentially really getting out of our heads, which is where most of our suffering is. Mm. And... um, you know, that's why going out in nature and listening to the birds and really tuning in to colors and feeling the the clean air or the warmth of the sun on our skin um, is profoundly healing and shifts our attention and gets those good chemicals flowing. I, I also, uh, the, the part of the book that, that had to do with uh, creativity and that and how that restores us uh, mm-hmm. stood out. Um, and I'd love it if you would share the creative sub-personality exercise that you have in the book as an example sure. of, of kind of the specific way you talk about how to enliven some of these qualities in ourselves. I like that idea that creativity has a power to to um, restore us. Sure, I will do that. I'm noticing there's some background noise. It sounds like somebody may be doing a leaf blower or something outside, and I'm wondering if that is disruptive at all. I can't hear it at all, Suzanne. Oh, good. So it may be on your end. I can't hear it. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Go right ahead. Okay. So this is uh, an exercise to... Contact a creative part of yourself that you would like to develop. And I happen to be a huge champion of creativity, and I really like to just turn people on to the idea that creativity is so much more than just artistic or literary gifts and talents and pursuits, that the creative force is the life force and that we can be gardening and cooking or parenting, um, that creativity can be expressed absolutely anywhere. 
So, um, these are some directions for this exercise. Find a comfortable place to sit, taking a minute or so to settle in and adjust your position in any ways that you need to. When you're ready, close your eyes. Let your breathing be easy and natural. Allow the breath to move into any areas of tightness in your body. Feel yourself relaxing more and more deeply with each outgoing breath. Relax and be with your breathing like this for two or three minutes. With your eyes closed, imagine an ideal environment in which to meet this creative part of you. This could be a natural setting, your living room, an office, or perhaps a studio. Imagine a place for you and your subpersonality to sit comfortably. Let an image that represents one of your creative selves emerge spontaneously. It could be a woman, man, child, object, or symbol. For example, your inner writer might appear to you as a man or woman sitting at a writing desk, or perhaps as an aspect of nature, like a redwood tree or running brook. Accept the first image that comes to you. Then, let the image have a voice and express itself. Follow your natural inclinations and ask any questions that are meaningful to you, such as, what is your name? What is your purpose in my life? How can I integrate you into my life? What do you need from me? How will my caregiving be enhanced if I begin to include you more in my life? And then open your eyes and record your meeting and conversation. And know that you can meet with your creative self anytime that you want. You can bring any and all questions. Like a friend, the more interest and care that you bring to this part of yourself, the more you will receive in return. I like that. I, I sometimes have uh, a little trouble uh, at first inviting people towards imagery. They feel awkward or uh, I've had people say it feels fake. or But it's the most natural part of us to imagine. And mm-hmm. it's such a healing part of us, don't you think? I do. And, you know, with people that, you know, have any kind of reaction like that, um, it could it can be useful to start slowly and just have them imagine a minute, you know, a beautiful place and standing in that beautiful place right in this moment and, and talking to them a little bit, like how does that feel and what do you see, mm-hmm. what do you hear. Another important thing to know about imagery is that it is not necessarily visual. It's really estimated that only six out of ten people will see an image if you say, imagine a forest. So 
uh, depending on how they're how they're wired in a way oh suzanne i wish we had another hour to talk but that's (laughs) a nice place to to um stop because i hope people will actually go try that and and spend a few minutes with their with their creativity right it right away thanks for being with me i really enjoyed it Thank you so much. And and listeners, go out and find Suzanne at SuzanneWest.com. Next week, I'll be talking with Terrence Kelly. Terrence is the Artistic Director of the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir, happens to be the choir I'm in, whose mission is to inspire joy and unity among all people through black gospel and spiritual music traditions. And about 60 members of the choir are about to go to the Montreux Jazz Festival this summer. They're fundraising right now to to go, and I thought it would be a great time to have uh, Terrence come on the show and talk about the power of the music. So join us next week and hear his wonderful voice and Uh, our conversation. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.